This audio recording is presented by New City in downtown Orlando. Before we get to the scripture reading, I want to situate us. What have we been doing? What are we doing if you haven't been here or if this is your first Sunday? Uh, here at New City, we tend to preach through books of the Bible. And right now we are in 1 John, preaching a series called Confidence. So 1 John is a wonderful book about uh, a church. It's written to a church where a big number of people have left the church for theological and moral reasons. Essentially, it seems that uh, there were members of the church that disagreed with John's teaching and the teaching uh, that was happening in this community. And it went something like this. It seems these people who left the church believed that I can know God and I can be in fellowship with God and live however I want to live. And it's none of your business to tell me how I ought to live uh, because I am my own boss. So essentially, they were saying, let me do me, you do you, and everything will be okay. I know God. Don't tell me I don't know God. And as John was uh, writing and teaching this church, uh, it became clear that there was a difference in opinion, and a whole big group left. Now, from what I can tell, and what I've learned from other commentators, is that John seems to believe the people who he's writing to are genuine believers. The people who are left are genuine, but they're, they're a little shooken up, shaken up. What do you say? Shooken up? Shaken up? They're struggling. Uh, they, they're confused. They're not sure what's going on. And so John wants to write to them to clear things up. He wants to write to them to give them confidence. This is our third sermon in the series. And what we've seen so far is that those who are walking in the light are those who are honest with themselves. Those who come and bring all of their sin, all of their guilt, all of their shame, all of who they are, they bring that into the light of the gospel. And when they let God shine his light on them, they increasingly have darkness revealed in them. And Ted said this the first week, the strange thing about Christianity is the more that we bring our darkness into the light, the more we actually change. And a lot of us tend to think that in order to come into the light, I have to earn my way in. What I have to do is I have to clean myself up to make myself worthy of being in the light. And John is saying it's actually the opposite. If you try to pretend like you don't have sin, you call God a liar. The whole point of Jesus coming is to bring his light into a dark place, including your heart and including your life. So John is giving a few assessments, a few tests to see if you are living in the light. And one of the powerful, logical points of the gospel is this. It's that what I've already said, you don't clean yourself up to bring yourself into the light. You don't change yourself and come into the light. You actually bring yourself humbly to the light, asking God to change you. And the more you do that, the more you change. The more you come into the light, the more the light becomes beautiful to you. The more you come into the light, the more attractive it becomes to you. That's how it works. That's how we change. So the first test of being in the light is one of the things that becomes more beautiful to you is the commands of the Lord himself. It becomes more attractive to obey God than to disobey God. And as you continue to realize I'm disobeying God, I need to come back to the light. And we continue to do that, we actually change. So that was last week. This week is a more specific commandment. It's not simply you will over time increasingly find God's commandments more beautiful and obey him more. But this week's command is specifically 
you will become a more loving person. You will love more because foundational and central to the Christian life is love. That's what we'll see today in 1 John chapter 2, verses 7 through 11. Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. This is God's word. Amen. Please be seated. Uh, I think many of us have heard a certain iteration of this saying, which goes something like, I love Jesus, I just hate Christians. Or I love Jesus, I just don't like the church. Now theologically, biblically, that's impossible. Uh, You can't love Jesus. We already saw it in uh, 1 John 1, Uh, And then in today's passage, to love Jesus, to be with God, to say you have fellowship with the Father is to walk in light. And to have fellowship with the Father means you will have fellowship with one another. But I think if we think about it, we understand the sentiment of that saying, don't we? We understand the fact that sometimes Christians are mean. Uh, Sometimes we just don't love each other. And Jesus himself said, they will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. But yet we fail to do that. And so I can understand why it's not that attractive. So we understand the sentiment. And so if we want to focus or think about that this morning, I think what we'll eventually see is we do, in fact, often fail to love one another as we ought. Uh, We fail to love our spouses as we ought. We fail to love our children As we ought, we fail to love our siblings, uh, both biologically and uh, those in our community groups, those in our church. We simply fail to love. And at the core of the failure to love is the choice to love self instead of others. So when we turn inward on our own, we, we move away from our neighbor instead of moving towards them. And John is writing in to this congregation, which we've already described a little bit, where there are people who have left the church, but their message still remains. And their message is, I can know God, I can love God, and still hate my brother. And John says, whoever says that is a liar and blind. In verse seven, uh, John gives us a command. He calls it an old command and a new command. And I'm going to show us now that that command, although he doesn't name it explicitly in this verse, is the command to love, which is our first point this morning. John gives us the command to love. So here in verse 7 and 8, John's talking about this old commandment, this new commandment. He never names it. Now, in verses 9 and 10, he talks about love. So if I told you, hey, he's talking about love, I think we would say, oh, I, I can see that. But I want to make it a little more clear. Okay, so I'm going to take us to two places quickly. I'm just going to read them to you. In 2 John, same author, in verse 5, he is writing to a church that he calls Dear Lady. And in that church, he almost uses the same phrase of this new commandment 
And then he names it. This is what he says. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. That's what he says, that we love one another. Then in John 13, 35, John's gospel, Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So the command that John is talking about, he's saying it's a command from the beginning. Now, of course, it is from the beginning uh, of, the, of the scriptures because it's in Leviticus, this idea of loving your neighbor as yourself. It's repeated again in Deuteronomy. Jesus picks it up, and we'll talk about this later, breathes new life into this command. So the command is clear in scripture, but particularly what John is talking about is the beginning of his gospel preached to them. So in other words, John, in his preaching of the gospel to this community, uh, never separated believing in Jesus from loving one another. They just came hand in hand. And we'll see that uh, in a little bit when we refer later to 1 John chapter 3. But if we talk about love, I think it's important that we define love a little bit. And we've probably, if we've been around church, we've heard some of the things I'm going to say, but we need to say them again, okay? So I wanna talk together. I mean, I wanna put them together. What is love and what is not love, okay? So first, love is not merely an emotion with a disposition towards being nice. You know, somehow we've conflated being nice and talking softly as love, But when we read the New Testament, or really the entire scriptures, we understand that love is not merely a disposition towards being nice. And it's not merely an emotion. Although it is kind, kindness is a fruit of the spirit. But this idea of niceness, of softness, whatever that is in your mind, it might not be love biblically. The second thing is love is not simply accepting whatever whatever others declare about themselves, you know, how they wanna live their lives as though it's just fine. In other words, today in our culture, if I disagree with you, I don't love you, right? Have you, have you noticed that? Today in our culture, if I disagree with you, I don't love you. That's, that's crazy. That is just simply crazy. So that's not what I mean when I say love. I don't mean niceness, an emotional disposition towards niceness. I don't mean that I have to agree with you or you have to agree with me in order to love each other. This is what love is for our purposes this morning. To love is to give and live your life for the flourishing of others to the glory of God. To love is to give and live your life for the flourishing of others to the glory of God. We can say it in other ways, but that is true. Listen to John 15, 13. This is Jesus. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. How did Jesus love us? He lived and gave his life for the flourishing of others to the glory of God. And he says, greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. So you see, love is not an emotional disposition. Love is costly. Love is a sacrifice. To love someone costs you. To love is not simply to refrain from harming another person. It's actually to move towards that person for their good. Kindly. Gently, but truthfully. And love itself, the way John is talking about it, is so close to the heart of what it means to be Christian 
that John says it was a part of his original gospel teaching. Listen to 1 John chapter 3, verse 23. We'll get to it later in our series, but I want to refer to it now. It says this, and this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. Yes. And love one another, just as he commanded us. Did you hear that? And this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. So it's been at the center of John's teaching from the very beginning, and he's reminding them of this truth in the midst of their confusion. Now, not only in our culture do I think we struggle with defining love and thinking about how to love other people, I also think that in the West particularly, we tend to think of a command, right? The commandment to love. We tend to think of a command or a law in very impersonal ways, right? When we think of a law, we don't think of it as something that could be good and something that could be personal. But for us in the Bible, God's law is not an abstract code. It's the personal loving instruction by an all-loving father to his children for their maximum flourishing. And so for Jesus to say, we must keep his commands... It is him saying, this is my loving truth to you. This is light. This is truth that I can speak to you love, that you may have flourishing, that you may have life. This is part of my love for you. It's not some impersonal set of rules that I have you keep just because. But we don't tend to think of law that way. We tend to think of it as impersonal, not personal. We tend to think of it as punitive, not for our flourishing. But if love is truth, it's also grace. You see, love is truth and grace. So for me to give my life and to live my life for the flourishing of others to the glory of God is to live my life with grace and truth. That's not just a cute saying. John actually says it in his gospel at the beginning, chapter one. He says, Jesus is full of grace and truth, and that grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So what you see is the ultimate love, the ultimate lover in the universe was Jesus himself. He came in grace and truth. And this is such a robust thing to talk about. I mean, we, we could talk about this the rest of the time. We could talk about this for weeks to come, all the way until Advent if we wanted. Just this idea of what might it mean to love each other in grace and truth. But as I was reflecting on what is the one thing that I want to talk about this morning, uh, I was listening to NPR and uh, something struck me when I was listening to NPR that somehow, and I've already kind of mentioned it, that it is unloving to speak truth into people's life if it's disagreeing with them. And I just thought, how is that possible? How have we come to the point to where tolerance means I cannot disagree with you? Well, we're there. And I don't think the church is immune from it, honestly. And let's just put it, not even in terms of truth and all of that, abstract stuff, although it's important. I want to talk about relationships for a couple minutes. The fact that we are so disinclined to speak the truth to other people, even when it's loving, because it might be uncomfortable. I mean, whether it's our spouse or our community group members or our pastors, anyone, 
We are so scared to disagree with one another. We're so scared of, of feeling uncomfortable that we fail to love one another and move towards one another in truth-telling with grace. And I think sometimes loving one another looks like moving into uncomfortable places and speaking the truth in love. And sometimes it sounds like this. You hurt me. You offended me. When you said that, it made me feel like I'm not a person. When you said that, it made me feel like my opinion doesn't matter. When you said that, it made me feel like I'm stupid or that you're better than me. You realize how vulnerable you have to be in order to go there. It costs us something to love, even in this example, to move towards one another and speak truth to one another, to be filled with grace and truth. We are a family in Jesus. We are a family. We are members one of another. This is how Paul says it in Ephesians 4. He says, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Now he says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. So you see, to, to be knit together, to have unity, to grow into a loving community, we have to speak truth and love to one another. We have to ask God for words that fit the occasion. And sometimes words that fit the occasion make us feel uncomfortable to say. But we have to move towards one another. We have to push through that. We have to move for the flourishing of others and our relationship with them. This, this became so clear to me when I was serving uh, the first church I served back in Missouri. Uh, there was a lot going on and uh, there were some things, I was an assistant pastor and there were some things that the senior pastor was doing that I just didn't, just, I just didn't agree with. And uh, honestly, I couldn't name why I didn't agree with it. Was it wrong? No. Was it the way I would have done it? Definitely not. But because I couldn't put my finger on that thing, I felt like, I don't know if I can just like move in, move through that and just ask a question and say something like, hey, I don't know why I feel this way, but I feel this way. And I feel like I'm distancing myself from you. And for the sake of you and for the sake of this relationship, I need to push through that and I need to come to you. Well, I just didn't do that. And it kept building. And, you, and if you're like me, when you're doing this, you always find easier times to talk about that person or that thing with other people, right? It always seems easier. And it's, of course, it doesn't feel like gossip in the moment, but that's absolutely what it is. And so I was doing that. I was gossiping and he heard about it. And he came to me and he, and he pulled me aside and he said, this is what I need to know. I need to know, are you with me or are you against me? Because we are both pastors of this church. We are knit together for the mission and ministry to these people. And if you are not with me, you need to tell me, but you cannot move away from me. Essentially, that's what he said. And when he named that reality, when he named the, my failure to move towards him in truth and love, to speak the truth, it just broke me. And I just started weeping. And then I'll never forget this because we were, it was, we were outside and there was a, a street light above us and the light was just shining right on us and everything else was dark. And he just leans in and embraces me. 
as I'm weeping. And he says, I forgive you. I didn't even say, please forgive me, but he knew that I needed his forgiveness and he forgave me. So that love that will move towards people in giving and living our lives for the flourishing of one another to the glory of God. And in the church, remember this was so robust, I could have chosen so many things, but this is just one thing that I still struggle with in my life and I'm sure that we struggle with in our relationships. And so absolutely we can speak to that too. Now, as we speak about this, this idea of the command to love one another, the command to move towards one another for their flourishing, for the glory of God, we realize that we fail. We just do. And that is our second thing that I want us to see today, the failure to love. So first, there's a command to love, but then, of course, there's a failure to love. Now, in this context, these opponents of John's who have left the church apparently were divorcing the need to love the other brothers like Jesus commanded. Apparently, they really believed that they could know God and not have a life that is changing. They could love God and live in darkness. Apparently, they were saying, listen, I know God, but no one can tell me how to live my life. I love God and I will live this much of my life in the light. But this part over here of actually sacrificing my own desires for the good of others, of sacrificing my possessions for the good of others, no, I won't do that. I'm not going to do that. Now, what's interesting is John calls this hating the brothers and sisters. Look at this, verse nine. Whoever says he is in the light, so loves God, is walking with God, knows God, and hates his brother is still in darkness. Verse 11, but whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Isn't that so interesting? It's the darkness that's blinded his eyes. A lot of times when we talk about blindness, we talk about a bright light that blinds our eyes, but but don't miss this. It's the darkness that's blinded his eyes. This person, the person who lives in the realm of darkness, right? So the realm of light and the realm of darkness. To live in the realm of something just means to live under the authority of the person who lives in that realm, who runs that realm. And so in this case, we see in other places, but also in 1 John, it is evil who rules the realm of darkness, And the longer someone lives in the realm of darkness, the more and more blind they become to light. The more and more blind they become to truth. And in the scriptures, when it talks about darkness, it's talking about this persistence of refusing to go into the light. You see, to live in darkness, to live in the realm of darkness is over and over and over, always choosing to stay in the darkness. And the longer that happens, the less inclined a person is to come into the light. Now, John calls this, like I said, hating. So there's no neutral ground here. Just like there's either light or there's darkness, there's either love or there's hate. There's no neutral ground. And we're very uncomfortable with this, right? Because we think, well, I'm not that bad. I mean, I don't hate people. I don't kill people. Right? But do you give of yourself sacrificially all the time to others? No, I don't think so. 
John is saying love is not relative to our definition of love. Love is relative to Jesus Christ and to him sacrificially laying down his life for us. So anything that falls short of that, he says, is darkness. So like I said, I want to remind us, living a life of love is to live and give our life for the flourishing of others to the glory of God. And yes, it's true we fail to do that. And I would say, increasingly, in our day and age, living in darkness is pitched to us as more and more attractive. Because to live in light would be to live your life for others, to live your life submitting to a moral standard that you did not create. Living our lives for ourselves is not new in our culture, but the shift increasingly is from, hey, it's okay to live how you want. No, no, that was like 20 years ago. Now it's become a moral imperative to define your life by your own standards. If you don't define your life by your own standards, if you don't become the own author of your life and make your life mainly about you, then you're foolish and inauthentic. That's the way we go. So whether it has to do with sexuality, whether it has to do with reproductive rights, how you spend your time, how you spend your money, to even the question that there may be a moral standard outside of your life to live your life for the sake of others is culturally anathema. It is a moral imperative that to be authentic, we must define what it means to be us. And it cannot have anything to do with the flourishing of others. It has everything to do with us. This term self-authorship is a given. You author yourself. But John calls this view not open-mindedness, not enlightenment, but blindness, hate, darkness. Look in this in verse 11 one more time with me. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going. This is the picture. This person living in the realm of darkness refuses to go in the light, but yet is walking in the darkness around, bumping into things because they can't see anything. And they keep bumping into things, hurting themselves and hurting others and saying, this is freedom. This is life. This is enlightenment. This is authenticity. And John says, that, those are shackles. That is blindness. That is darkness. But we all are affected by that. We all hear the siren call of defining reality for ourselves. We all hear and feel the siren call of living our lives for ourselves. So what about us as Christians who fail to love our spouses? We use our spouses. We're indifferent to our spouses. What about our children? We use our children. We're indifferent to our children. We use those in our community group. We use those who we love, at least we say we love. What about that? What about when that happens for us? What do you do? What do you do when you realize you're in a place that seems a little bit like darkness? Is that shocking to you? Does it scare you? What do you do in order to repent? What do you do in order to love? We've said this every week, and we're going to keep saying it. In the Gospel of John, 
The call to repentance is always the call to run back to the light. It's always a call to come back to the light, to be honest with yourself, humbly before God and others. And the more we do that, the more transformation will happen. Let me say it this way. The most loving thing, that is to say, to live our lives and to give our lives for the flourishing of others to the glory of God. The one thing that we can most love others with is to live our lives in the light. That is the greatest gift we can give to our spouses. That is the greatest gift we can give to our children. That is the greatest gift we can give to our community group and the people around us and everyone in our life. The most sacrificial, costly thing in a sense is to live our lives in the light. Verse 10, this is where I'm getting this. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. Now, if you look in your Bible for the word in him, has a little number in mine, it says number three. And at the bottom it says, or it, all right? I think him is probably better, but it is helpful too. Either way, this is what it's saying. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in the light or in the person who's in the light, there is no cause for stumbling. In other words, if it's the light, then I can see everything. I won't bump into anyone and therefore I won't make others sin. Now, but if I'm in the light and I'm increasingly in the light, I'm living a life that is increasingly for others. I'm living a life that is increasingly less inclined to make others sin. So you see, the most loving thing I can do to love God, to love my neighbor, is to come into the light, bring everything into the light and live in the realm of light. That is the most loving thing any of us can do when we leave here. Because in that place, there's no cause for stumbling. Now listen, the realm of light, though, is not perfection. It's humble honesty. That's what happens in the light. Remember John said, by the way, if you say you don't sin, you're a liar. So to come in the light is not to be perfect. It's to be humbly honest. The more we live there, the more we change and the more freedom we experience. So if we are not regularly confessing our sin, we're calling God a liar and we're not running to the light. And the most loving thing we can do is live in the light. So John is writing to this church and he's saying, remember, the command is to love. And to love is to give our lives like Jesus for the good of others, to the glory of God. And yes, you will fail. But what do you do when you fail? You don't don't say, you know what, forget this. I'm going to define life and morality and love however I want. No, that's what the people who left the church did. To love is to come back to the light, to come into the light, to submit yourself humbly in all of your failings to the Lord Jesus. So the power to love, the failure to love, and now the power to love. How does this happen? Where do we get the power to love? Look with me in verse eight. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you. In him, him is Jesus. And you, that's, those are, that's plural, those are the believers. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Let me read that again. 
It is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. You see, Jesus has brought the realm of true light into our lives. God's reign has begun in Jesus Christ. Now, I love the sunrise at the ocean. So we live in Florida. A lot of us have gone. We live on the East Coast. We see the sunrise. But one of, another beautiful place to watch the sunrise is in a mountain range. And sometimes when you see that and you see the sun rising in the mountain range, um, you'll have this one beam of light that just shoots through. It shoots through the mountain range and it just lights up this one place. And then as the sun comes up, that one beam of light just continues to expand and expand and expand. And what happens is, is you see a little bit of darkness go and then more darkness and then more darkness and then more darkness being cast away by this light. And what John is saying to these believers is that in the same way that when light, when, when the sun rises, the higher it gets in the sky, the more darkness is pushed away. He's saying that is happening in your life. To submit to the Lord Jesus is not instant perfection. It's not instant daytime. It's the sun rises and the darkness continues to pass and the sun continues to rise as we stay in the light. This reign of God is the reign of love and no one has ever loved like Jesus. No one. I mean, people have sacrificed, right? People have sacrificed for love, but no one like Jesus. Jesus left glory. He left comfort. He left bliss. He left a throne to move towards us in love to the glory of the Father. The Bible tells us that in the beginning, Adam was given this task to go and to live and give his life to the glory of God for the flourishing of all things. He said to Adam, love and obey me and you will have life. And Adam failed. And you and I fail. But he told Jesus, son, go to earth, live perfectly in obedience to me and I will crush you into the earth for them. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He came into the world, into our life, into our hearts. And the light comes and he paid the price for our failure. So to come in the light is not to be perfect, but it's to submit the work that Jesus has already done in our life. The image is not of immediate perfection, but of light increasingly casting out darkness. And so the power in the Christian life is to come into the light for freedom, not for earning, to come into the life for light and joy. And it's only there when we actually realize that we are forgiven, that we actually realize that the ultimate price has been paid to love us. Can we move out towards love for one another? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for sending your son on our behalf and crushing him because of our failure and then counting that to us as righteousness. 
We want to become more loving. And I pray that none of us would fall into the lie that we can clean ourselves up and earn our way into the light. But I pray that in your mercy that you've shown us in Jesus Christ, we would cast ourselves into the light, that we would live under the realm of your love. And as we live there, it will change us. We will grow, we will become more loving. And we are so thankful for that. We ask now that as we continue to worship in response to this truth, that as you reveal a little more darkness in our hearts, that we would run straight to you in light, that we would confess our sins to you and to one another, and that in that place, you would meet us and change us and comfort us. In Jesus' name.